it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. Also, don't forget to check out now that the NHL playoffs are here, the All's Caps podcast. It's with AP writer Steve Wino, former Washington Capitol Carl Alsner. That's All's Caps, A-L-Z-C-A-P-S. There you go. Today, I'm joined by Sam Fortier from the Washington Post as we discuss the draft, some overarching themes, what it means for the season, and revisiting the Carson Wentz trade as we look down the road. The conversation took a turn toward that, and I'm glad it did, because I think it was an interesting discussion. Make sure you stick around for that. Was that the best way to go? For me, getting a veteran quarterback who can help them win more games now was indeed the right move, but we discussed this. You can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam4TR, Sam4TR, that's the number 4TR, and you can read his work on WashingtonPost.com. You can read my work on ESPN.com, where I have analysis on each of Washington's draft picks, plus a story on quarterback Sam Howell's long wait. The conversation with Sam Fortier ran longer because we took a detour for again for that last 10 minutes or so, talking about Wentz, revisiting the options at that time. In hindsight, what was better? Was it still the right move? Because it ran longer, I'm not going to waste a lot of time on my thoughts, although I say that, and I probably have a few more things to say than I thought. I do want to address the draft, of course, in a couple ways. Yes, it's possible they drafted each of these guys a little bit too soon, or at least some of them too soon. However, if their board says that Fidarian Mathis is higher than, say, Jaquan Brisker, which it did, then that's who you take. Teams get in trouble when you have a board and deviate because of perceived needs or because of how you're worried about others might look at your draft. To me, it'd be easy as heck to win the draft. You just pick the people that everybody thinks that you should and then you go. But if you don't like those people and you pick them, you're going to have a bad draft, regardless of what others would say. Anyway, we'll have a chance to see who's right. Maybe they're wrong. I don't know. But man, there were some crazy swings with draft picks, not just here. As an example, I looked at Mel Kuyper's ESPN Plus piece where he discussed some round two and three picks that he didn't like because he felt they were big reaches. I clearly thought he was going to mention Washington for some of these because everybody else seems to. But he did mention he didn't. That was a surprise to me. He did mention Buffalo taking linebacker Terrell Bernard with the 89th pick. He was number 219 on Kuiper's board. He said edge rusher Sam Williams with Dallas was slotted in the fourth round by him. He went number 56 to the Cowboys. He rated safety Alante Taylor as his 11th best safety. He went 49 to New Orleans. New England had a few perceived reaches. I have no clue who's right with all those picks, and I'm not bringing this up to be some kind of homer. I just want to give you perspective. My point is, teams, and this is what I heard before the draft, and we talked a little bit about it, 
But teams saw these players with a wider variance perhaps than usual because there were so many uh, players in this draft who I think were quality players. And there were no truly, truly um, guys who were just like head and shoulders elite. I mean, there were blue chip guys in this draft, but you didn't, you, because of some of the quarterback play, it just had a different feel for it. But again, there were a lot, there was a lot of guys in these rounds from the late first into the fourth round or so, they're all over the place. I asked one respected offensive head coach about Jahan Dotson. He said he would not have picked him where Washington did. Then he added, but if you like him, you take him. Time will tell who's right. Sam and I discussed some, some of this as well. And again, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just saying we still have to see, but I'm also pointing out how wide, how teams were really different with their boards. And as even Martin Mayhew said after the draft, unless you know what a team's board is and you know their fits and all that, then it can be really hard to say what's a reach and what's not. Again, when it's all, you know, certainly look like some of these guys may have been drafted a little bit earlier than they should have been or could have been, but we don't really know. And again, it only depends on how your board sets up. The more I watch second round pick for Darian Mathis, the more I like him for a simple reason. He gives them something they did not have up front. It's not like he's a duplicate of what they lost in Tim Settle. He's different. He's not a duplicate of Payne and John Allen, for example, even though he came from Alabama. And I say that because there's some subtle differences. Mathis can play over the nose. It's something, it's how they use Deron Payne, but they don't, but it's not necessarily what he does best. It's just, he's the guy who can do it. They wanted to free him up from that role. Settle didn't play that, nor did Matt Ioannidis. I do wish they had kept Settle, especially knowing they're going to release Ioannidis. But still, Settle does not do what Mathis does. So you'd still need a guy who could play that role. And watch Mathis with the Alabama linebackers. He keeps them clean. And trust me, one thing I've heard from defenders here over the last year is the need for someone who could do that. They have excellent defensive tackles, but it's not always what they do best. Allen, wants, Allen can get upfield. Now, he can two-gap but they want him to get upfield. So, of course, some of that is going to be on the linebackers to react faster. Because, trust me, I see the double teams. And I think the linebackers have to do a better job reacting off those double teams. Absolutely. And that's not on the tackles. The tackles can do that. But, but this is what Mathis does best. That's why they could use a guy like him. They didn't want a guy who was huge, a 350 kind of guy, and couldn't perhaps develop into a pass rusher. I don't know if Mathis will. I know they talked about that. I think we have to wait and see on that. But I know he can help them regardless. Now, if you lose pain after the season, you have your starting defensive tackles. And it's going to be hard to pay all four of those defensive linemen. Now, you don't have to. And if pain walks and you get the comp pick in the, pre, in the next draft as well. So, you, you know, you don't want to lose a guy, but I think you have to look at where, where this is going. I like the running back from Alabama, Brian Robinson. In the, um, but we'll have we'll talk about more of that in a minute. Is it a little high? Yeah, probably. Um, safety Percy. You know, again, we'll get into that in a minute. Safety Percy Butler might be to me the most intriguing player in the draft for them. Beyond that, I have some studying to do because I need to see more of these guys before I can give you a firm, firm opinion on them, which is why I'm going to have guys like Logan Paulson on uh, this week as well, and some others to discuss these players. Sam and I also discussed Sam Howell. I do know that some there viewed him as the as the top QB in this draft or the guy that they liked best. This is not that was not post-draft spin. It's what I heard for a few weeks, but he wasn't an option because they thought he'd be picked by that point. I don't think there was a consensus about him, about the quarterbacks in that building because some people I heard would say they liked Malik Willis a lot. 
more than anybody. And that was about a month ago or so. But what we know, it wasn't a good class. And I'm not, I'm not wowed by Howell in the fifth round, though. Great. Have at it. Perfect, perfect place. I'm not a big believer in draft grades. It's hard to know until we see them on the field. I understand them and I look at them and I understand for fans, it can be fun. And if for people doing it, it's just about having fun and what you see. It's just a starting point, sort of like a first test of the midterm with the final grade on the field weighed a lot more heavily. They get credit to me for adding a couple picks, but while the picks seemed, while the picks made sense to me, because I think they found three or four players who helped quite a bit this season, um, you can look um, at each of these four picks and, and wonder about what they're going to do. I mean, that's a definite. If that if these guys all do well, this class becomes an A. And I think each of those, again, each of those four picks, including Butler, can go in and I think help them quite a bit. Butler on special teams and then evolving into a role from scrimmage if the speed and his toughness translates the way they hope. Um, if that does and you get three or four guys out of this class right away who help, that's a that's a really good class. And that happens. That becomes an A. I think because the first three guys will help enough. I think the floor is probably a C. They do need to emerge as more than just helping enough for this franchise to take a step. And again, I you know, and again, we talk about more of this stuff in a minute. So anyway, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with Sam Fortier from The Washington Post. What stood out about the draft to him? And would he make that Carson Wentz trade knowing how this weekend played out? Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Sam Fortier from The Washington Post. And again, you can follow him on Twitter at Sam4, the number 4TR. Sam, before we came on, we were just talking about how pretty much exhausted you are after a weekend like this. And it's not like we're, again, we're not doing heavy lifting. We're not saving lives. But for some reason, the draft process, it's a long time. We've got probably because you get home late and you get all that stuff. So how are you feeling this morning? Uh, pretty good. And and I just want to show uh, for people who uh, <laughs> who are watching the podcast, for people who are listening, I'm holding up a, a sheet of paper that says reserved for slacker Sam. That Kim put on my chair at – the, the, the media annex opened at 11 a.m. on Saturday yeah. for day yeah. three. Yeah. And I, I walked in at 1107 yeah. and, and Kime had already, you know, football guy, hardo, put that on my chair. So I think that I'm tired because the expectation was for seven minutes late, you're slacking. I mean, you know, you got to call like it is, Sam. Sorry. You know, but it was it was funny because I do. I was kind of hoping you come up a little bit later. But anyways. You know, it's again, we're not doing anything other than following the draft and there's a lot going on with the draft. So I'm curious, we'll start with this, like your general impressions of their draft. Yeah, I think my number one takeaway was uh, seven out of eight of the players being seniors, several of them being redshirt seniors. Uh, there's no Jamin Davis or Antonio Gibson or Sadiq Charles. There's none of those. Hey, you know, this guy does not come in clear packaging. This guy is going to need a lot of development to get where they want him to go. A lot of these guys, I think, are pretty, um, you know, they're close to what they're going to be. They might not be high ceiling, but but they do seem to be high floor. Because I do like a lot of these guys, you know, even 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 though I think that there were people were questioning where they took them. Fedarian Mathis, the defensive tackle, Brian Robertson Jr., the running back. Um, they have 
clearly defined roles. They have cracks that they will fill in in this roster, possibly Percy Butler, the safety as well. So to see them kind of transition from, uh, from, you know, taking those a little bit bigger swings to, Hey, we're getting seven out of eight guys that, that are, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old. These guys are going to fill in. That was a, a pretty notable shift to me. So let's go down that road. First of all, one of the things I wonder with this draft, because before this draft, I'm sure like you, one of the things you heard is people are going to have wildly different boards. That was consistent with what I heard. And I think it showed up in how others perceived what they did and what they ended up doing. But I also wonder with those seniors and how much of that is a function of what they're looking for, do you think, versus the COVID year, the pandemic year, which pushed a lot of these guys, maybe they would have come out a year before. Now they go back and they're a little bit more proven, but I wonder how much is a function of that as well. Yeah. I, I think that certainly it's probably both. Um, and, and you saw a lot of people go around the board, you know, the, the Patriots drafting uh, that Baylor receiver, Tyquan Thornton um, uh, way ahead of time sticks out to me as well. I mean, boards being different, I think happens every year. Uh, but to me, you know, it, it wasn't a, Hey, we're going to do this for the first few rounds. This was, this seemed to be, it was a definite an organizing mm-hmm. philosophy. And I know that, um, you know, when you ask Ron, Hey, considering where your roster's at, was this a, a, a focus? He kind of downplayed it, but it seems to me like the proof is in the pudding. The only underclass when they took was Sam Howell, the quarterback. Um, and so I guess to me, uh, it definitely seemed more of a, of a theme and more of a, of a shift than, than a coincidence. So why do you think that, you know, and I think the easy assumption is he's made a big deal out of going into year three. And this is, has to be the, you elevate how much of it is that versus something else. The question of this off season is, is Carson Wentz closer to the quarterback they think he is, or is he closer to the quarterback? Most other people think that he is. And so what I took away from this draft is whether it be Jahan Dotson or Cole Turner or some of these guys that, that come in and, and have obvious skill sets, have obvious contributions and, and could be expected to uh, step in right away is they want to give him the highest chance that he can to be the quarterback that, that they think he is. Um, you know, Ron talked about Jahan Dotson's interior route running the 50, 50 balls, the, um, the position flex of this year, if you will, the hot buzzword has been catch radius with, with Cole Turner and Jahan Dotson. So I think this is, you know, most of this Brian Robinson obviously fits that short yardage, uh, you know, back that, that Peyton Barber was. And, and Ron said that, you know, depending on game flow, they could lean on him and not AG because AG is more of a slasher. So to me, this is all about maximizing um, Carson's chance of, of being that quarterback. Sure. And I think you talk about, too, the one thing you heard about Dotson that I heard a few times, most pro-ready. They felt like he and Olave were the most pro-ready receivers. And it's not like Dotson. Dotson went 16th overall. And I think in talking to some people close to him, they thought like maybe in that 19 to 30 range. So you're only talking like if you think that you're going to go around there, well, it's not – is it as big a stretch as people made it seem to be? I don't know about that. I know I always thought he'd be in that around 20. So his four or five spots, you know, I don't know. But they do like him. And they, again, most pro ready. And then um, the wide catch radius is the other thing that they talk, like you said, talk about with him and with Turner. And I think with Wentz, that's important because, again, I, I've talked about this, but he's not 
not the most pinpoint guy. You know, he's not going to like, if it calls to stick it on your left shoulder every time, it's going to be here, it's going to be here. And you want someone who has that ability. And then I think the third thing is that you talk about with Dotson, the interior stuff. You go back last year and like, again, I always, God bless Taylor Heineke for how he played. It was, it was good and all that. And I always hate bringing, you know, knocking him because I admire what he's done. But one of the areas that was weak was over the middle, especially with the inside receiver. And I think when you lose Logan, it's there. He, Adam Humphreys had one catch between the hash, hashes. One. That's where he's supposed to operate best. So can Dotson then, the, the combination of Dotson and Wentz, be more effective in that area? And I think that's something else to consider as well. Absolutely. And uh, I know that throwing over the middle is is something that, you know, shorter quarterbacks um, ha- have a tough time with. I think that's part of the reason maybe uh, that Malik Willis fell because he's he's yeah. six foot. But with Carson Wentz at six four, I think the, the field becomes uh, more open to it becomes more open to Scott Turner. Um, and so, you know, you have to have those targets, whether it be Cole Turner, whether it be Jahan Dotson, whether it be Dax Milne. Um, some of these, you know, options are, or, you know, Terry on, on inside routes, like you have to be able to use the whole field. And, and, uh, and I think that, um, I, I think that that this draft has, has really been a byproduct of that. And then did you like the trade back? I, I, <laughs> I love the trade back. Um, I, I wrote, uh, you know, a story before the draft about trade charts and about how often, you know, that Jimmy Johnson chart would teams use a tweaked version of it. And, and oftentimes the tweak is that the, the first round picks are, are lower in value that basically the Jimmy Johnson chart, it declines much slower in value than the Johnson chart does. The Johnson chart falls right off a cliff, right. uh, you know, from 3000 at pick one to 590 at pick 32, it goes a lot slower than that. And so to me, I don't think the difference between Olave and Dotson is is more than having three extra picks because they take that, you know, 120 and they flip it into two fifths. So really, you're talking about trading, at least in Washington's perspective, Chris Olave for Jahan Dotson, Sam Howell, and Cole Turner. Right. And so to me, that that's tremendous and um and Brian Robinson as well. Brian Robinson. So that, that's tremendous value. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, one rookie receiver, is, is, the gap is that big. And I don't think, the, you know, I'm, I loved watching Chris Olave in college. I don't think the gap is big enough where you don't make that trade. I think if Drake London is there, they would not have made that trade. Because I also think that London would have given them something they didn't have as far as the size goes. So with, with Dotson, you're like, okay, there's a few guys that could be there at 16 that they like, including Dotson. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with I agree with that. And the other thing, you know, it's funny because I know, again, people weren't thrilling. Tom McShay listed him as one of his favorite pick for Washington because because he feels he can make an instant impact in that offense. How big an impact do you think he might be able to make? Dotson. Yes. Yeah, I I think I think pretty big um, just because assuming <laughs> there's a lot of assumptions that you got to make in May, but let's assume that, that Curtis good. Samuel is, is healthy and that they have <laughs> a big one. Yeah, I think it will be. I think he will be, but who knows? I mean, right. Let, let's assume they have their full offensive compliment back. I know Logan Thomas is also a question, but if you're doing it right, um, I, I think that Jahan Dotson um, and his, you know, uh, his pro readiness over the middle, I think you'll see that right away. And, um, because then when you have a quarterback that can make all the throws, when you have the route tree open up, 
uh, when you can throw between the numbers and be more of a threat. Um, I think I think you'll see the offense take on a, a different um, a different hue and it'll be more productive. Um, obviously, last year uh, you just Taylor Heineke every time he had to throw deep. Again, like you said, like not to knock the guy, but all his throws downfield, um, you know, there wasn't that that zip on him that that made the defenses I think respect him in the same way. So while Carson Wentz isn't going to be the most accurate, he's certainly going to get the ball there. And and when you're talking about uh, the ways that you can threaten a defense and, and forcing the defense to respect you. Um, I, I think that Jahan Dotson being a part of that contingent, um, I, I can see him stepping in right away. Now let's get some other picks too. Um, Federian Mathis. Now I like the guy for a couple of reasons because he's a personality. He was fun to talk to. So for us, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk to him. I know that there was what he said about where he thought he would go late third maybe fourth. And I know like, then you hear from the agents like, well, she was managing expectations. And I think even Rivera said that. Then I hear from another agent who's like, well, based on the teams I talked to, here's a chart I compiled and and he had him in the third round. So, okay. So, you know, if if he's a reach or not, what did you think of that pick? I will say this after watching him, I think the guy's going to help. Whatever round he was picked in, I think he's going to help. But what did you think of that one? I think, well, I think there's two conversations we can have here. And the first is the, the idea of a reach, right? Which right. I think people were talking about all weekend with the Patriots and, and Cole Strange, the, the guard out of Chattanooga. And, and Kyle Shanahan actually said an interesting thing last night during his press conference, which was um, it really only takes one guy to set that value. And if you really feel like right. that guy is so important to you, you know, you got to take him around ahead of time or maybe earlier because, um, and, and I'm not saying that drafting a guard in the first round is good positional value, but, but I do think that a lot of times I was talking to Brandon Bean, the bills GM before the draft. And, and he said, I, I think even more than fans or media realize boards in different team facilities are, are wildly different. Correct. And so I think that's Martin really important. That after the draft too. Martin Mayhew said that after the draft. Right. No, that's, that's a good point. And, uh, and so for, you know, I guess the idea of a reach football team building is highly contextual, um, you know, different timelines and everything. So I, I get why some of those things happen um, with Federian Mathis. Uh, while, you know, he does seem like a reach. I, I agree with you. Like uh, it seems like, you know, he, he's really good at two gapping, stopping the run. He has that traditional size. Um, I, I don't know. I know that they said he, uh, Martin Mayhew said he had sneaky pass rush uh, ability because he had nine sacks last year. Um I guess I'm not as, as sold on that, just having looked into it a little bit initially. Um, but, but obviously, you know, when you're talking about an Alabama guy that can come in and play here, I, I think that he'll serve that role that they need him to with, with Ioannidis and settle down. I think and the thing that I look at with him is for the pass rushes, if you're going to draft an interior lineman higher, he needs to have some level of that. And um it's why that I wasn't sold on them drafting pain where they did a few years ago, because I didn't know if he would have that. And he's not a great pass rusher. He can do it, but he's not a great pass rusher with, with Mathis. The one thing that, um, you know, you do worry about that, but the one thing I really like from him is that, that he can occupy blockers. And with these linebackers, like that's one thing that I know there's with some of the um, defensive players, like that's one of the things that they, talk about is they need a guy who can do that and pain while he's been playing those which others don't it's not his best area this allows him to then when he's there to play somewhere else and let 
Mathis play there. So I think there's some, that's why I say there is value there, a hidden value that a lot of fans aren't going to see because they see, oh, you lost Settle, you lost Ionitis. So well, this guy does something different than those guys did. I still think they should have kept Settle. You know, I, I wish they had found a way to do that, knowing that they're going to release Ionitis. But I think this guy gives you something you didn't have. And so I think that's important to know too. And the other thing is too, Sam, that you hear like, oh, are these guys even going to start? Well, they're all going to play and they're going to play a good amount. You know, and, and so um, that's one thing. The, I'm sorry. I, the other thing I want to talk about, too, along with that, with that theory is the impact guys aren't necessarily going to be the ones they just drafted for next year. The guys you have to make the impact are Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Those are the guys that have to come through for next year, more even more so than these draft picks, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think um, listening to – you know, I, I think GMs around the league have always said this, but but particularly the Rams. I mean, when they traded for all those guys last year, they said, "Look, it doesn't matter. Like like if if our quarterback or Jalen Ramsey or you know any of our pillar players get hurt, depth is great. You know, there's that old saying, depth is great until you have to use it, right? And so to me, it's it's like your stars, your studs. It's it, this team. If it if it wins, if it, if it's going to be a successful team, it's going to be because Carson Wentz and Chase Young. Um, and, you know, Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas, if he comes back healthy, it's going to be those stars. It's going to be those pillars carrying the team. Um, and then, like we said at the top, like these guys are going to fill in. These guys are going to play their roles as a part of that to maximize those guys. But make no mistake, if this team is to win the division, if this team is to go to the playoffs, it'll be on the backs of those stars. Right. And the other one, too, with Robinson, too, with Gibson, First of all, again, he does give you something that, again, they didn't have. They needed to have that other back. I think we all knew that they were looking at backs because they had some in that they liked, and maybe it was a little bit higher than where I thought he would go, where I thought they would pick one. Again, he gives them something they have. And the other part is, too, Sam, you know, Gibson, early in the year last year, the first half of the year, had those fumble issues, and they really couldn't take him out because that because – Nobody else could really go in and fill that full-time role. I wonder if that was – we didn't, that didn't come up, but I wonder if that's not part of the thinking that, you know, if something happens, now you have a guy who could be more full-time. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, them not expecting to lose Peyton Barber in that role when, when Vegas right. um, claimed him last year, I think, I think that really accentuated how much they miss him, especially if you're going to, you know, use – if you're if you're going to adapt a receiver like AG into the backfield and and he doesn't maybe bring um, you know that physicality and, and they praise you know him running behind his pads in that Tampa Bay game and and you know during that stretch where they had but I think when you looked at his usage um, you said okay this probably isn't sustainable so for them to have and and obviously all running back position most running back positions in the NFL today are, are committee so um, I I totally agree with you that had to be a part of their thinking. Um, and I think this probably doesn't spell good things for um, for Jared Patterson. But right. uh, but when you're talking about going forward, the skills in this running back room, those three run very called it a trifecta. Um, I, I think that does position you nicely and, and you feel pretty good about where that position's at. Well, and I think that's a good point, too. And like with Patterson, you can put him on the practice squad. And again, another good story. But if you lose him, you can find Jared Patterson. Right. And that's that's something that it's 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 harder to find the big guys who can run hard and, and move the pile. And I like what Jared did, but I think they clearly needed another guy because you'd hear from people, too. Again, 
They need to give Antonio some help. And so now you have it, 17-game season. That's important. And the other thing that Rob brought when – I know people love when, when Carolina gets mentioned, but he did have <laughs> – he did have a two-headed monster at running back for a while in Carolina that was successful. Does it signal how they want to go about things this season, do you think? Yeah, I, I think that um, I, I think that obviously, you know, it's still predicated on Wentz. You, you don't want to be the rushing attack that you were for that four-game win streak in the middle of the year, starting with Tampa Bay, but um, because, because you want to be able to throw it deep, and, and I think Scott Turner's offense – still hasn't because of the quarterback instability hasn't been able to kind of show how he really wants to play it. But I think that if you can't win or, or you get that lead throwing, you want to be an effective rushing team, which obviously this offensive line, while there are a few new pieces, uh, I think, you know, it, it would make sense if they were still very good running the ball uh, next year. So I think this is just allowing you to win different ways to prepare um, for different styles of games. Um, so even though I think Carson Wentz is, is still your guy, and, and I think uh, an, uh, an important thing to point out here is Carson Wentz is a high variance quarterback. He has those really great games like against Arizona last year, but he has those really poor games uh, against, um, against Jacksonville at the end of the year. So this to me is even sort of a hedge against that because if he is not on that day you have another way an effective way to run the ball um another form of offense that you could try to lean on and I, yeah and i think a good offense is one that can win in multiple ways and now you also have with dotson the ability to throw four receiver sets out there with effective receivers you can put four guys out there it doesn't make it a good four receiver set it doesn't mean you have four guys out there and but now you can do it with if Samuel's healthy, if Deami Brown, or you throw Cam Sims in there. I don't care. Like, I, I always like Cam Sims. So you can do that. The other thing that came up too, physical, tough. We heard those words a few times in the post, in the post presser um, yesterday too. And what did, and they, you know, I think somebody even asked, like, does that mean you weren't tough enough? I was like, well, no, you all, but you always want to get tougher. Yeah, and I think that kind of fits in um, with what we saw the NFC East do uh, as a whole, right? Like in the first round, before Washington even picked, uh, you know, the the Giants and the Eagles had drafted three players, and the smallest of them was was Kayvon Thibodeau, right. uh, who is like I think six five and, and two sixty, because um, you had that big tackle in New York and uh, and Jordan Davis in Philly. So I mean, it, the NFC East got bigger and badder during the draft. And so to me, this was Washington's counter move. Um, this was Washington, you know, responding to that and saying, Hey, you know, if this is going to be a brawl, we're going to be ready. And one of the, one of the tough guys that they mentioned is the safety Percy Butler. And like, he's a guy that I'm, I'm actually in, curious to see how he plays because it's not like there's a lot of film with Louisiana out there, but he is a guy that they seem to really like. And they brought, that was the, I think that was, the, they, they mentioned physical and tough with him a few times. They did, which was interesting because he was, a three-year starter at free safety. And I feel like you don't, you hear, you know, physical and tough about box safeties a lot, but not, you know, the center fielder too often. And right. for them to like him as much as they do for Ron to say, Hey, he could step in at Buffalo nickel um, as a rookie. He could compete there. That to me is, is uh, a really interesting sentiment. Um, some people have, you know, I think said on Twitter, isn't he too small? He's six foot one ninety four. Um, listed at the combine and to me I mean he's not that much smaller than Cam Curl 6'2 198 and Cam Curl I think broke out and kind of showed hey I can 
uh, you can trust me out here in the Buffalo nickel position in early 20. So in early 2020. So to me, um, he's a candidate for sure. I, I don't think uh, I would be surprised if we got to training camp with, with this as the, the rotation. I think they'll, they'll probably look in to try to add somebody else, but um, for them to even put him, his name in that conversation, I think was, was, you know, that was notable to me. It was. And I think part of it too, is, and they, they even said they can adapt that position to the strengths of the guy they have. And I think to me, one of the things you have to have there is somebody who's a smart player because you have to handle multiple roles. And then within that frame, you can then gear it toward what that guy's with, because it may be that he's better covering the slot. Now you have a physical guy in the slot, things like that. So you can gear it around there, but it also gives you, if you have curl and Butler out there, along with McCain, now you can mix and match those two. So maybe they both don't, you know, someone doesn't have to take all the pounding down there um, and, and, and make it. So I think it gives them some flexibility. But, yeah, I don't know that that's a settled spot, just like with linebacker. I mean, they still need to do some things there because they haven't really addressed that to the level. And that's why there were some spots, beginning with Mathis or with Robinson, there's, there's some other guys there that are, oh, Troy Anderson or some other players there that Brisker – that could have then filled specific roles. But I, again, I think Mathis fills a needed role for them as well, that maybe people don't realize how important that was, but, but I think he does. So that's why I think these guys are filling specific areas, which it also tells you, Sam, that it's why they had to trade back because they did have multiple areas they needed to fill. They may not be these glamorous spots, but they needed all these types of guys to fill. Absolutely. And, and I think linebacker is, is, is something that I definitely still think they need to address. Uh, and, and I'm curious because Ron has, has mentioned, I, I'm thinking back to all the questions I wanted to ask, you know, we, I, you know, that I didn't ask yesterday that we should have, but you know, he talked about Cole Holcomb possibly playing Mike. Like, is that, do they still see that as a viable option um, or will they try to do something else? I know there are some guys out there. Joe Schobert is, is one of them, but, um, but to me, it's what is the plan here? Do you, are there going to be veteran cuts after the draft? Like there were last year, do, do, do they see, the Bobby McCain, Charles Leno period as like a viable way to plan on, you know, building the team again. Um, I know I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here, but it was, it was, uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear if, if they think that that is a, a thing they can bet on um, because it does feel like, you know, they're not done. And they, and they, sh- and they better not be because they still have things. And even again, the <laughs> Buffalo nickel you brought up, I mean, I think they're, they, this is one of the things they, after the draft, typically teams will meet on a Monday and go over now, now what do you have to go get? So is, would they go back after a landing Collins to see, okay, now that the draft is over, would you want to come back for this amount? And I don't know that he would, but that's, those are the things that will get discussed. So there's still ways that you can address problems or, or holes, but linebacker, because like, it's not just that they need a, 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 an inside linebacker or someone else. They don't have a lot of depth there. That to me is one of the, you know, so that you need, to me, you need multiple guys there. Right. And, and one more point, uh, one more point on this Buffalo nickel last year, when Landon and Cam and Bobby were all on the field at the same time, um, Cam, you know, stressed last year that that is when he thought the defense was at its best when they were disguising coverages. Um, and if he pointed to that first Tom Brady interception as a good example of yeah. Brady had a hard time getting a handle on who was going to drop where and, and what coverages they were playing. Um, and, and he really attributed that to how the defense was able to, to, you know, kind of help the offense 
running the ball, controlling the ball, pull off that upset. And, and the advanced numbers, you know, expected points added, it really supports that they were much better against the pass with those three on the field. So I think, you know, asking Percy Butler to to have the savvy of, of Landon Collins in year one is, is, is probably not going to happen. But if you have that three safety set up, if you can kind of do the mix and match disguise coverages that you got with those three, um, I think that would be, you know, really valuable um, moving forward. I'm glad you brought that up because that's an important point. And they know how effective they were when the three in the three safety set, specifically with Landon, because of the other thing is, again, you have to be really smart because you are, you can't just put anybody back there. Now, I do think like if you get a certain linebacker or another linebacker, something like that, you might be able to put even able to put Cole Holcomb in a role, not the same as Landon, but in a in a big nickel role because he's got athleticism, he's smart. Um, so, he, but again, you have to tailor it to that talent. But I think along those lines, Sam, in some numbers, in the first four weeks of the season last year, they were like almost dead last in yards, points allowed. That eight week stretch where they started. Landon was more in that role. And before the COVID and injuries all hit for the next eight weeks, they were right around the top 10 in those same categories against really good quarterbacks. And I'm glad you brought up the Brady stuff because you could see it going back once again, you can see the, my first readers here. Oh, I can't go there. I wasn't expecting that. That's how you create big plays when you do that. And that's, you know, and that is a credit to them. So that is why that role is important. And it's why you need to get somebody there who is smart and can handle it. And if you can't find that guy, you know, or, or let's say, you know, the rest of the offseason, let's say worst case scenario, they can't find that guy. They have to adapt it. They have to shift, you know, hey, you know, here's how we're going to cover that up. We're going to have Cole play, you know, in this role. And I remember, I remember, um, I think it was before Las Vegas when when um, when Landon was out and they had Kalik Hudson playing that for a couple quarters before he got hurt. And Cole was talking about when they had to shift the defensive structure. And I think it was, it was Kalik for a part of it and DeShazer. They kind of yep. used those yep. two guys to replace Landon. How, you know, you can overcome that, but you have to have a good communicator in the middle. And I know Ron said something that, you know, Cole was not as strong at was communicating. It was not a strength of his going in. So to me, it's if you have to, you know, sacrifice a Buffalo nickel, can your middle linebacker, if it's Cole or if it's someone else, can they be a good communicator enough to get everyone on the same page and get, you know, that defensive structure set up? Obviously, Football is uh, endlessly interdependent, um, right. and, and you got to have all those pieces, you know, set up right. But I, I think that um, considering they know what those those problems are, how do they address fixing them? You know, and, and which piece can you figure out? And and again, uh, and along with that, like Jamin is not that guy either. Like I, right. the communication stuff and all that. That's I think he needs to be put in somewhere where he doesn't have to feel overloaded. But you know, and I I always go back to this game, the, the Eagles game, the second one. And I don't say this because I think this guy should be started. That's not the point. It's, but it's the point is when you have a certain guy with certain traits inside there who can do certain things. And it was when Mayo played the middle and you could see Holcomb freed up to play a certain way. Get somebody better in the middle. But it was the traits that you want to see, like somebody who can play. You know, the one thing they liked that they would talk about with Cole that they really, you know, sometimes you hesitate. So you might see the guy react this way and you hesitate. And then the double team gets to you. And whereas if you go fast, a Keekly type, right, who is a Hall of Famer um, or will be, but, you know, you beat the double team. So either the double team comes off too soon and the tackle wins or you beat it. And too often they weren't doing that. It was like it was too much. I think I see this. Oh, I see this. Oh, now I go. 
But when Mayo was in, they actually played the run well against that game because he was decisive. Again, he's not a playmaker. He's a backup, maybe a backup to a backup. But you need that guy. I think it's why you need that guy in the middle when they use those sets, even if it's two linebacker sets. Um, you have to have a guy who can play that way because it, I think it creates problems up front. Not, not to have David Mayo catch a stray here. I apologize. Like he's in the Taylor Heineke vein of he did what he could, yeah, you know, yeah. stepping in. But he's, just, I, he's like, he's like Dwight Schrute was a, an assistant <laughs> to the regional manager. He's an assistant to the starting linebacker. He's not the starting linebacker. He's not a co-star. I get that. That's not the point. It's what he offers. It's what a guy with that type of traits offers. Get someone who's better, please. But, right. Because so. I was, I was going to say, like, the thing that sticks out to me is is the Texas route. I think that the Eagles ran against him where that running back cuts out of the yes. backfield. Yep. Because yep. you need someone who can do what he does against the run, but also defend that route. And right. uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm hung up doing. on your analogy about the the uh, David Mayo is Dwight Schrute. So I, I'm I'm lost on my point. <laughs> well, it's the it's the way you phrase it, but. But the point is that, again, I think like it's why that you want the guy here as a backup. And I think Mayo knows that and they know that. But it's why you've got to get someone in here like and Bostic. That's why they kept him around. But they know or they, you know, you talk to him throughout the offseason. They know they have to get someone better than Bostic. They still haven't done that yet. So that's got to be a priority. Last topic, the quarterback. They go out and get Sam Howell. And one of the things that Ron did is call Carson Wentz beforehand. What did you think? Like, do you feel like that was necessary? Like if they had gone out and gotten Bailey Zappi, do you think that he would have called them or is it because it's Sam Holland name guy? And what did you think of that? I thought it was I good. I thought it was fine. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I People were comparing this. And when I say people, I, I, I mean, you know, people on Twitter, eggs, uh, we're comparing, uh, we're comparing this move to the Jalen Hurts move. And I, and I, don't think that that is the same at all. I mean, J- Jalen Hurts is, it was a second round pick, um, was a name guy um, in, in a way that I don't think Howell was, particularly considering, you know, the, the quarterback class being weak. To me, this was, this was a simple, he's the top rated guy on your board that's left. I don't know if, if Washington loved him as much as, uh, you know, they said that they did because Ron said that, you know, there was no chance they were picking him in the fourth round, but in the fifth round, you know, you ran the pick in. Um, but I will say that calling Carson Wentz, I, I think, was necessary considering, um, you know, what, what you know about him or, or what people say about him in, in terms of um, maybe being a little a little more sensitive to things. And so, um, yeah, I think that when you have invested and bet as much on this guy uh, as you have, you have to make sure that he is on board, not surprised, not feeling in any way um, upset by things that you do. So I wasn't surprised they called him. I thought it was a smart move and they have the same agent rep one sports. Um, so I think that might help a little bit, but I don't, I, I can't imagine if Carson Wentz is upset, you know, he's not that dude. Right. I could see, I could see how we get tweaked by a second round pick and Jalen hurts. I was like, wait a minute. And even if you say, Oh, it's to help you. He's going to say like, it's a second round pick. You know, that second round picks are brought in at some point to start that. And I don't, and especially at that position. So you get Sam how I do. I will say, how was the name that I heard with them before the draft about the guy? It's not what, how high he was on their board, but of this quarterback class, that's the one they like. But I also think it's why, because there were some people like, well, why did you go get Carson Wentz? Well, I think when you look at where these quarterbacks are drafted, 
That's why you went and got Carson Wentz. This is not a great, you know, I think teams where they are drafted is reflective on how teams truly saw this group. So interesting question. I think I, in my opinion, uh, because the weak quarterback class, right? Like not a great, you, you took your shot on Russell Wilson. Uh, you didn't get him. Um, would it have been, because Ron has talked about how important year three is, right? Seeing that growth, not being in purgatory, you know, with quarterback, finding an answer. Looking back, you know, with, with retro, the hindsight being 2020, it does seem like Carson Wentz is about as good as, as they could have hoped uh, for quarterback this offseason if, you, if you're not going to get that, that top guy. Would it have been acceptable, considering that what Carson cost them in terms of picks, in terms of salary cap, would it have been acceptable for them to punt until next year? The fan base probably, and, and you know, we probably would have said, you got to take a shot at some point. But looking back, if you said Carson Wentz is the best we can do, we don't think he's a guy that can become a perennial, you know, we, we don't think he can be a franchise guy in the way that we think. Would it have been acceptable for them to go through this offseason and say, no, it's not the right year. We're doing it next year, even though this is year three. I think it's a fair question, because then in that scenario, you're going after Mitch Trubisky, and then and maybe try like and if you don't like these quarterbacks, maybe you go Trubisky and Hall and Heineke and say we'll roll the dice again next year because it's a, right now it appears to be a stronger draft class. So if if nothing else, maybe you don't get the top couple guys, but a good player may fall to you wherever you're at, or maybe you can put yourself in position to go get them. So I mean, it is it is a fair question. Um, I do think though that they look at year three so heavily. And I think they should like, you need to generate some excitement with this fan base. You need to start winning at some point. And, and I think that's why you go out and get Carson Wentz. So I, I think this is a couple year deal. And then you reevaluate. That's how I've always viewed it. It's gotta be at least a two year deal. I'm not buying the one year is okay anymore because you did invest enough that I know financially you can walk away from it, but the two picks and the cap space that prevented you or made you do certain moves. It's why it's got to work. But yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think? Like, would you have, what do you think? Like, I, I think it's still, I would understand that way too. I kind of like this way better because I think with Wentz, you get a guy who can play to a certain level other ways, the other way too. But you know, what, what would, what, what do you think? You you are definitely gaining some certainty in what in what Carson Wentz is when you trade for him, and I think that that's um, you know that's a totally defensible position. Um, but I guess like what I'm trying to say is like year three is is obviously important for for any coach. But if you know just if the circumstances are so fraught, like could Ron have gone to Dan and said, "Hey, look, I know that like you want to see results. I want to give you results, but just." the way things are breaking with this draft class, with this free agent class, even though there's going to be quarterback movement, we are not going to get one of those guys that I can confidently tell you is going to be our franchise guy for, you know, five, 10 years. And because of that, we need more time. And I, and, you know, I, I get why people wouldn't be open to that explanation, but if Ron went to Dan and said that and said, I know that, you know, this is not going to excite the fan base. We're not going to make big moves this year, but, Long term, this is the right way to approach it as a as a franchise. I I could be persuaded by that. I, I guess the risk is then you kick the can down the road, and then it doesn't That's look any risk. better because you can't yeah. get that guy. So so like you said, you've got to take a shot at some point to prove that you can take a step. But because this year for Washington was was just not um, as open to to quarterbacks, I guess like I 
I would be probably more sympathetic than most to that idea of, of pushing it down the road and trying to say, hey, when we're going to take this shot, we have to take the shot like Buffalo did with Josh Allen. And and that and that's fine. And I, I, I what I would have all would about what I said last year too is I would have got I would get as much draft capital in the next draft as I could to then be aggressive. It doesn't work now. Now that you have Wentz, you you don't have to do that. If you hadn't gotten Wentz, I would have said get some draft capital for next year to to make to be in position to make an aggressive move because otherwise. I think, you know, are you going to get better than Wentz next year or the year after? We don't know that. So they had a chance to get that guy now, which is why. And again, like it wasn't is it's if he goes out and plays pretty well, just if he's 16th in the league, then that 20, that salary is OK, you know, but he's got to be in that range where you can get some top 10 games and you're going to get some bottom 10 games. Um, but you've got to be in that area where you say, OK, at least he's a top half guy. Because otherwise, then it's going to be okay, you know. Um, but I would, like, Sam, there was a point this offseason where I thought that's what they were going to do, where you get the Trubisky and you keep building out around Trubisky with another free agent um, or the, all, the, all your draft picks and then get, again, get aggressive and go next year. So there was a point where I thought that was where they were going to go. And, you know, um, I don't know, but I guess, I guess this is where they win. So it just, to me, I guess, like, what is the end goal? Like for me, Carson Wentz, the ceiling probably is, is being really competitive in the conference and, and, you know, hoping to, I know, I, I know for a franchise that, that has won one playoff game in, in many years, like, you know, we're asking a lot here, but like being competitive in the conference and, and saying, Hey, like, let's go to the conference title game. I just, to me, is Carson Wentz a guy that can, that can carry you deep in the playoffs? I, I guess like, you know, we'll have to see. Yeah. And, and I guess like being consistently competitive, you know, winning double digit games a year that it, like, like basically for Carson Wentz's tenure in Washington, knowing what we know now, like what is success? Well, and I think this is why, first of all, this is why you get, you get the receiver in the first round. It's why you take the other running back to give. And now you've got to go out and still, I think, get more, a little bit more on that offensive line to protect him and give him every opportunity to maximize that. And it's why you don't go get a quarterback in the second round to then maybe say, what, wait a minute, you just got me. Why are you doing that? So I think there is that. And I think the other thing though here, because they haven't won in a while, like I go back, one of the guys who that Ron Rivera talks to a lot is Andy Reid. One of the things Andy Reid did when he got to Kansas City was go out and get Alex Smith. At that time, Alex Smith was not thought of as this this great savior for an organization. He was thought of as a middle of the road guy, Andy Reid. They maximized Alex Smith to an extreme and he did well for them. And there were things he did well that they capitalized on. And then they won. And then even when they were coming off a 10 or 11 win season, they get aggressive to get Mahomes because that was the guy they wanted. So I think this at least gives you the chance to be successful. And in a couple of years, if it's just like, you know, this guy's taken us as far as he can, that as far as he can. You got to go be aggressive to get somebody else. And can you do that? Can you, I, I think the key there is not so much. Can you get the guy? Can you identify the right guy? Cause Kansas city did not everybody thought Mahomes. If Mahomes was viewed that way, the bears are taking him. right? There's a bunch of teams ahead of me. So to me, it's like, not just, can you get them? Can you identify them? And, and that's what the chiefs did exceptionally well, but that's a guy that Ron talks to a lot. And, you know, so, Hey, get your, 
quote unquote, Alex Smith. And not saying he's Alex Smith, but again, Wentz does some things well that Alex Smith did not. Alex Smith protects the ball, but he was never a big time passer, right? So that's, so I think from that standpoint, and then if you're Snyder, you look at the stadium, they're not selling tickets, not enough. Um, you just changed the name. You need to generate some excitement. And you hear this offseason how people don't want to come here because they don't win. So you've got to, de- you know, so how, I wonder how much that plays into you have to change the mindset as well, whether or not Carson Wentz is going to be that guy for five years. But for the next couple, can he get you to from here to here? Where so they, haven't like, been. they haven't won right. 10 games in a row in back to back years since the early 90s. I mean, they've got, you know what I mean? Like this is an incredible run of ineptitude and that has to change at some point. So to me, it sounds like we're saying the, the not best case scenario, but, but a, a reasonable hope for, you know, this team for Carson Wentz is that he establishes a high floor, a a baseline of competency that you can be in contention to have a winning record every year. You can be in the mix to, to go to the playoffs and establishing that level of competitiveness then allows you to say either we are going to identify uh, the guy who can maybe raise our ceiling. And if we can get to a Super Bowl competitor, you know, that's, we want to view Carson Wentz as at best a really good bridge. Right. And I think a bridge, yeah. And a bridge without necessarily the heir apparent on the roster right now, because for the next couple of years, I mean, Carson Wentz has played well enough to do, you know, even the Eagles a couple of years ago, he was doing pretty well. So, and, and I know that we all know the red flags. We know the issues, the flaws, not a perfect quarterback. But the other thing we've seen Sam too, is like, for example, what if in a couple of years, a quote unquote Russell Wilson type becomes available and they look at Washington, you know what? Washington's 10, won 10, 11 games with Carson Wentz. Look at that defense. Look at this. Maybe I can be the difference there. Maybe that makes it more enticing to come here versus a guy. And I don't know why, you know, we don't know all the reasons Wilson didn't want to come here, but what we do know is they haven't won in five years a winning record and they haven't been a threat in the playoffs in a long time. So establish that. And maybe let's say, in a couple of years, Joe Burrow is a free agent. And he looks like, you know what? You know, oh, I love Terry McLaurin. Oh, I, uh, Chase Young, those are my guys. They tell me how great, you know. So I think there are ways that you can, you know, there's so many quarterbacks becoming available that if you can, you have to start winning at some point. And that's why, like, this year, like, I'll be honest, as a reporter watching these games, I don't want to go through another year watching a bad offense, which is what we have done for too many years and it's really boring and I feel bad for the fans because they got to pay for those seats, but right. I mean, like selfishly, I want to see a good offense. And I think once again, but more so than that for the fans, they need to see the wins. They need players need to see that to say, okay, this thing is developing. And again, maybe in a couple of years, you win 10 games this year, 10 or 11 next year, you win a playoff game, but you know, Wentz is in then somebody else might say, I can be the guy there. I don't know. That's just one way that to me, that's the optimum way for them. That's the positive spin for them, I guess. Right. And and I would say that this strategy of, of identifying, Hey, this is, this is the best we can do right now. We got to go get them sort of falls in line with, with the NFL that we've seen this season, right? People, teams are getting more aggressive, whether it be, right. you know, Vegas or Miami, you know, pushing hard for their top wideouts, whether it be the, <laughs> the absolute arms race in the AFC West, um, you know, really interesting points that I think, um, 
you know, Rams COO Kevin Demoff made in, in an article that I read, like he was like, I think that risk and aggression in the NFL for a long time was probably too low. And so right. trading some of these first round picks, which are, are still, you know, relative uncertainties, relative coin flips for veterans, which the Ravens have done, which the Rams have done, which the Patriots have done um, is, you know, that was sort of a market inefficiency. And I think you're seeing teams get more aggressive this offseason. So if, if the league is calibrating that way, then, I, then you know, the, the Wentz trade makes even more sense in my mind because you, you got to do something. Right. And I think the other thing along with that guy, first of all, NFL teams and coaches are, are slow to, you know, become that way. For all the you know, Ron's monikers, Riverboat Ron, coaches tend to be conservative in their thinking by and large as far as, well, you don't go out and get a quarterback here, but the quarterbacks are lasting longer. Guys who take care of themselves, receivers are lasting longer if they take care of themselves. But it does, I think, with the money and all that, like a lot of guys become available the last couple of years, you'd say, oh, they'd never trade player X and player X is out of there. A.J. Brown, before his second contract traded, are you kidding me? You know, Tariq Hill, you know, Watson has his own issues. But even, even before the off-field stuff, he wanted out of there and he was going to be traded at some point. So you look at all that and it's like, who's going to become available in a couple of years if Wentz doesn't work out that maybe you can then go get. And, you know, maybe it's Daniel Jones. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, folks. I was like, some people are just like, what? I'm going to unsubscribe here right now. No, I'm kidding, folks. But, you know, it's like you don't know who becomes available in a couple of years. So try and get what you can now and then worry in two years. All right. We don't have that guy. So now let's go find another guy who might be that guy. So, you know, I, I don't know. That's I just think the way the NFL has gone, it's really it, it has changed and they are being more aggressive and and players players are being more aggressive at pushing their way out because they have more power because they have so much money. All right. You don't want to pay me 30 million. You know, and I listen, I tried that with ESPN. You don't want to pay me 30 million. I'm out. <laughs> And they said, we're going to deduct a few. We're going to push that period to the left, a few more spots, and you're going to take it, son. So here I am. <laughs> but seriously, I, you know, there's so much more money that I think it allows teams to be aggressive or makes teams be aggressive. It makes players understand that they have some power here, too, and can get out if they want to. You kind of brought that up earlier with um, the Joe Burrow, you know, hypothetical, which, you know, I hope people don't run with uh, and, and keep in context. Um, but like, but Terry McLaurin and, and Chase Young telling him, hey, we're a competitive team with even with Carson, like you could come here and you could raise the ceiling like um, that. That is important. I mean, you see it more in the NBA, but I think you're seeing it a lot in the NFL, even this offseason, like player empowerment is is real. I think it, it's coming. Um and so that is going to be, you know, like, like the Packers, I think in the past, like you could have just told Devonta Adams, we franchise tag you, you have to play on it. Um, but, but he was able to force his way out. So that, that is very real. And I think that showing like, get, like what your locker room thinks and showing that progress and then having, you know, I guess like quasi recruitment again uh, is totally, I think going to be a real thing. And, and another reason why, you know, you got to take that step forward. There you go, Sam. I've kept you long enough. You need to go take a nap. I know you're tired. You got up early. It was like 11 o'clock or whenever it was. So I know uh, you need a nap. So, you know, 11 o'clock, I call that dinner. So, you know. <laughs> we, uh, I, Kime said 1030 and uh, I, I slept through two alarms. Uh, and so we started at 11. So that, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate you for outing me. There you go. Thanks, Sam. It was awesome. Of, of course. Thanks, Kime.
That's it for this episode. Thanks to Sam for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back. I believe it'll be Tuesday night with another guest talking about the draft. I have a couple big guests for you this week. So I'll talk to you next time.